Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore on our new home, New Dissident Radio. I'm your host, Aaron Zober. My guest today is Scott Krzybek of Zuke Live Foods. Plus, the desserts will tell you how to live appropriately in the upcoming week. But first, let's go to the appetizers and find out what's happening in the world of real food. Monsanto looks like it has ties to the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. The AND had announced plans to write a position paper about the safeties of GMOs, and Carol Bartolotta, a member of the position panel, was brave enough to report to the Academy that two of her colleagues were connected with Monsanto and were conflicts of interest. As a result, Bartolotta was removed from the panel. I commend her on speaking to report this fraud occurring in the name of science. In other Monsanto news, the scientific journal Entropy published a peer-reviewed report that the Monsanto herbicide Roundup could be linked to Parkinson's disease, infertility, cancer, and other health problems. The study finds that residue of glyphosate, the sheep ingredient in Roundup, which is sprayed over millions of acres of crops, has been found in food. The residues from the glyphosate disrupt normal body functions when they're present in food and lead to disease. That's why it's best to always opt for organic when purchasing food, even if it's the crops that are least affected by the spraying. Next, on Monday, U.S. District Judge Phyllis Hamilton of the Northern District of California ruled that the FDA had broken the law when it refused to release regulations needed to carry out the Food Safety Modernization Act. The FDA had released two of its key draft rules in January, but the judge decided those weren't enough. The case was brought about by the Center for Food Safety. It's refreshing to hear that the judge ruled against the FDA for once, as the FDA is a very powerful organization that often makes decisions which aren't in the best interest of the consumer. Also, the Center for Science in Public Interest has released an analysis of over 33,000 cases of foodborne illnesses, which reveal that ground beef and chicken cause more hospitalization than other meats. But this is no reason to panic about eating meat or poultry. The CSPI is a vegetarian group and has been known to change its stance on issues, such as being for trans fats before they were against them. And as usual, this research makes no differentiation between pastured meats and those that are factory farmed. And finally, a study in the European journal Diabetologia finds that drinking even one 12-ounce soda pop a day makes you 18% more likely to get type 2 diabetes. It also found that those that drank two or three soda pops daily were 18% more likely to suffer a stroke than those who had just one. This is why it's Vestopoid Pop altogether due to its sugar and phosphoric acid content. And now for our main course, which today is Kvat. If you're a regular listener to the show, then you know the importance of probiotics. We've discussed many types of ferments on the show, from kombucha to sauerkraut to kimchi. What these traditional probiotic foods have in common is they're all traditional foods that have been around throughout history and we're now trying to reintroduce. Another traditional ferment is kvass. Kvass is a lacto-fermented drink. Beet kvass is the most well-known type, 
but kvass can be made with many other vegetables as well. And like other ferments, kvass is filled with healthy bacteria to balance our gut flora. Here to talk with me about kvass is Scott Griesbeck, founder and CEO of Zuke Foods, which produces several types of kvass. Scott, thank you so much for coming on the program. Well, thank you for having me, Aaron. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you, too. I'm glad you've taken time out of busy work making all this great Zuke kvass to be here. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So how did you get involved with natural foods and with the live fermented foods in the beginning? Um, well, basically right after I graduated college, I got in, I uh, moved near a uh, Whole Foods in Philadelphia, started to get into natural foods little by little by little, and over the course of, uh, I guess, about uh, eight, nine years, just got more and more confused with uh, what was healthy because there are so many sources, so many different things talking about, you know, this one thing is healthy, this month, the next month, then another study comes out and says it's not healthy, and there's so much confusion. I didn't have a theory of which I was kind of living my food life on. And a friend introduced me to Nourishing Traditions, and I read the first 70, 80 pages of it twice, and it changed my life. I mean, it was the first time I felt that I had ever heard uh, the truth, something that was based on something rational, something that was achievable, something that just made an awful lot of sense to me, the the fact that, uh, you know, basically what your ancestors did to get us to this point was the right thing, and what the standard American diet is today is the wrong thing. It was very easy to wrap my mind around. And as a former chemical engineer, I loved, you know, going in and, you know, I loved cooking. I loved transforming things, and I loved, you know, kind of the order that everything was in and uh, delving into each of these kind of pillars of traditional society uh, and their food. Fermentation was the one that grabbed my attention the most, though. And I really started to get into it, and after a couple of years of fermenting stuff myself, it really hit me that as, as a food marketer myself, that's what, my business, that's what I did uh, for my day job, that I needed to start a business that was based on food fermentation. Uh, you know, the great thing was is that there are so many market holes in this, uh, uh, you know, food area of fermentation. There was so little stuff that existed. I thought that it would be great to come out with things that didn't exist. So that's why we never came out with the sauerkraut. We never came out with the kimchi. We came out with things that didn't exist, that I wanted to put into the mouths of people, the mouths of Americans that were raw, fermented, probiotic, and fit the way that they um, lived. And so that's the uh, that's been the mission and focus of Zuke uh, ever since we started back in 2008. Uh, and so was that right after you had read Nourishing Traditions? Uh, it was about four years after. Okay. So that took me a while. Right. Yeah, yeah. I did. I didn't open up the book and uh, be like, "Oh, wow! I got to start a business based on this." Yeah, it, it took me some time. Um, and uh, you know, as someone who was at, at the point wanted to be an entrepreneur, it took, it took my brain a while to get up to the point where, "Hey, why don't you make something based on things that you love and things that you already do and are part of your and your family's life?" It took a while to get to that point. It seems kind of logical now, but back six years ago, uh, it 
it was like a eureka moment for me. Had you gotten involved with Weston Price right after reading Nursing Traditions? Um, not exactly. Um, well, when you say involved with Weston A. Price, yeah, I, I guess I did become a member uh, right afterwards. Started to read uh, the Wise Traditions magazine and everything. But my focus was really just on the book itself and kind of doing as much stuff as I could and at the same time eliminating as much bad stuff as I possibly could as well. You know, one of the nice things was was that getting the book coincided with uh, my family's move back to Pennsylvania, back to Lancaster County, where the uh, ability to get grass-fed beef, uh, pasture-raised eggs, raw milk, um, you know, to raise our own vegetables and all these things became so tremendously easier than anywhere else that we had ever lived. And so uh, it was kind of, it, it was kismet, you know, I mean, I, I got the book, we moved to Pennsylvania, and all these opportunities uh, opened themselves up. So I, I feel pretty blessed about that. Right. So you were then one of the earlier members of Weston Price, and you are right, Pennsylvania is such a great resource for the nutrients foods from things such as Miller's Farm and the company Your Family Cow, which is one of the largest raw dairy farms. So it, I can understand how that is such a great uh, gold mine for nutrient-dense foods where you live in. Yeah, I, I, I just wish that uh, what we had was something that most other people could uh, partake in. You know, it's great for me. It, it's just it's something that the rest of the nation should have. Um, and uh, the more... The more that these things open, and, and it is, you know, a lot of these things outside of raw milk are uh, opening up in more and more uh, places. But it is nice to be kind of in the center of it. We are spoiled. Right, absolutely. So how did you discover specifically kvass? Because there's certainly a lot of types of ferments. Um, well, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it's right there in the book. It was something that I wanted to do. I love and so it just made an awful lot of sense to start making uh, my own kvass. Um It wasn't the original idea behind uh, Zuke. Uh, we had originally done salsas and relishes. So we had originally actually thought of ourselves as a condiment company, and now we think of ourselves as a beverage company. Um, but from my standpoint, it came about, one, because I love beets, two, because I really wanted to try this thing that, you know, the book and all sorts, all kinds of sources say was so healthy for you. But it also, three, came out of the standpoint that I couldn't stand kombucha. Um, I drank kombucha because it was the only raw probiotic thing I could do. I didn't like I didn't like uh, any of the uh, products that were commercially made, and I didn't really even like the stuff that I made. I could, I could get it down, but I was, at the end of the day, just not thrilled with having to drink it. I didn't like water kefir either. So um, I just about the not saying that any of these things are bad. I just didn't like them, and I already had a business based on raw fermented vegetables. It really seemed uh, like the logical next step for us. And, and plus, you know, again, you know, there was this huge market gap. No one was doing this, and so it seemed to me that both I, I could do this for myself and I could do this to fill a market hole, which those don't exist very often in the food world. Absolutely. And you're right, there wasn't any kvass, but certainly my good friend Hannah Crum, who, I mean, she's an expert on kombucha and really on all ferments and 
she always talks about how Kavas is a great type, but I mean, I can't think of any other companies that make Kavas, so um, I'm blessed that there is Zuke that can provide beet Kavas, and you provide a number of other vegetable Kavases too, so I was kind of interested to know, how did you come up with these other combinations of Kavases? Were these things that are other traditional ones, or are these more just discoveries? Oh yeah, there's, there's really nothing traditional about the rest of the kvasses, other than the fact that we ferment vegetables. Um, it, it didn't take me long to make other kvasses. I, you know, I, it, it, it took it didn't take long at all to realize that okay, if you can do this with beet, then why can't you do this with every other vegetable under the sun? And that's really the operating uh, thoughts that we had. We have developed the line with the thought of having as much of a um, overall nutrient garland, if you would, uh, as possible. And the only the only uh, vegetable family that I can easily think of that we don't have in one of our products is asparagus, and I don't think that many people miss that. <laughs> no. So, you know, if if, if you're if you've got our products nearby, you, um, and you know you've and the store carries uh, the full line, I mean, you have the ability to drink of virtually every vegetable family that's out there. That, to me, is fabulous. It's really uh, what I think is a huge benefit of our products. You know, you know, there are ones that I drink more than other ones, but they're all there. And there's times that my body is craving certain nutrients and there's times that's not craving certain nutrients but I got a, I got all of them there like I said other than asparagus um so that that really is the idea behind it um you know Bikavas is a great 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 traditional drink I drink more of it than I drink uh of the other ones but you know I mean like our super green is just got kale spinach chard cabbage watercress I mean how can you go wrong with that so um I like to think that we really opened up the entire uh, vegetable kingdom uh, to this. Right. So, in other words, these are rather newly developed flavors, but it uses the traditional fermentation to make kvass. And, I mean, I imagine part of the reason you started these was similarly where you were saying you didn't like the water keeper or the kombucha. Some people, they don't like beets, but they like other vegetables. So you came up with combinations that people could get the same type of kvass just with a vegetable that they preferred over beets. True, true. Um, now, I will say to any of your listeners that if you don't like beets, you really should learn to like them. Uh, they are just one of the best things you can put in your body. Um, and then I, I didn't, I never really thought of the other ones necessarily as a replacement for beets because the benefits of beets, which are just, I mean, every day they're coming out with new stuff that beets do for you. Uh, you know, one of the biggest things that they're talking about now is how beets reduce blusher uh, because of the nitrates in them. It's it's actually uh, some fabulous stuff. So it, the other, most of the other products are not going to have that effect for you. So not so much to replace them, but as to open up options, if that makes sense to you. I mean, you know, and, and from the standpoint of, you know, us with kombucha, you know, we never uh, expected uh, or necessarily even wanted kvass to replace kombucha. But if you're looking for a raw probiotic beverage, isn't it nice to have other options? You know, there, there may be days that you just want kombucha. 
nice to be able to mix kielbasa and kombucha in and have a tremendous variety of raw and probiotic products in your daily life. I think that that's also one of the nicest things about it. And going back to the thing of people not liking beets, I would say also that when beets are fermented into kvass, it has a different taste. So for people that maybe don't like beets themselves, when it has a fermented taste, it has more of a sour taste. It's kind of like you're comparing liking pickles to not liking cucumbers or something like that. Um, to some point, yeah. We, we do try to... Uh limit the tartness of the products because there's a lot of people who don't like the tartness. Um, but I will also say this. For a lot of people who don't like beets, they don't like the dirt flavor of beets, the fermentation takes almost all of that out. So you do get a very different flavor. And I've had a lot of people who are fans of our, who are fans of our beet products, but they're it's the only way that they get beet nutrition because they can't stand the flavor of beet. Right. And I'll be honest with you, I, I, I wouldn't say that I love cooked beets, but I, I think a raw beet is a pretty foul thing. And I can't drink raw, unfermented beet juice. It does kind of taste like you're drinking it. And I'm not a fan of it. Um, the beet kvass doesn't do that at all. Right. And you were talking about how beet kvass is like another option in terms of kombucha or water kefir. And really... What all of these I see are alternatives to these sugary soft drinks with the high fructose corn syrup or the NutraSweet. These are much better alternatives that are made from all real ingredients and they only use natural sweeteners. Yeah, I mean, there is, uh, while I say, you know, we, we never looked or wanted Kavas uh, to replace kombucha. We sure, I don't say the same thing as far as soda or just a regular fruit juice. You know, I mean, uh, these are the kinds of things that have been abused by Americans for years and are absolutely adding to the uh, decrease in health of Americans. You know, drinking uh, tons of sugary tea, tons of uh, uh, soda, no matter how natural that soda may or may not be, um, you're, doing, you're doing your body a world of hurt with the glucose roller coaster that uh, you're putting it through. Um, you've got, um, you know, fruit juices. Yes, you might be getting some uh, benefits from the antioxidants in the fruits, but at the same time, you're putting your body through the same exact roller coaster as you are if you're drinking soda. And that's why stuff like, you know, a properly fermented kombucha or kvass is something that you should absolutely replace you should replace in your diet uh, these juices and sodas and stuff like that. And that's that's the beauty of all these products. Right. And these pops right now, I mean, they are a real problem. So right now in New York, they have the solution of, I guess, banning a certain size. What is your thought of that as far as governments like banning sizes of uh, pops that you can get to try to limit people's intakes? Oh, you mean a soda and stuff like that? Right. Like, make, like uh, New York Mayor yeah, Michael like Bloomberg in- is doing... I don't think the government should have anything to do with this. I mean, as as much as I would like to see uh, soda go away, I mean, I'd be, I'd be in favor of uh, every soda and soda cup having to have a warning on it saying, this stuff is going to make you fat and kill you early. I'm I'm cool with that, you know, the, the similar type of warning that they have on cigarette packs. But to legislate how much you can drink 
Uh, the government's got no business doing that. It's got no more business doing that than it does legislating whether or not people can have raw milk. We've got to make our own decisions as adults of what we're going to do with our own bodies. I do believe that the information given should be different and that people should know what aspartame does to them, what high fructose corn syrup, or each other. You know, unfortunately, there's a lot of stuff out there where people say, now this has got sugar and not high fructose corn syrup, as if that is a good thing. Um, it's not. It's, it's hardly any different than high fructose corn syrup, but the knowledge of what that does is valuable. Government telling people what to have is dangerous. I completely agree. Yeah, I don't think it's the government's job to basically to dictate what we eat and to limit it in any way. I mean, I'm all for all types of labels and that it be clear because I know there was even an attempt to try to change high fructose corn syrup to like corn sugar or something. So I believe in totally allowing truth and labeling and, you know, not hiding anything like they're trying to not reveal that there's aspartame in the milk. But when it comes to limiting what we can eat, banning things. Uh, that's where I draw the line. I think a much better way is just educating people about great alternatives because I know in L.A. where I am now, I mean, kombucha kind of has like a hipster thing going for it. It's becoming trendy to drink these fermented drinks. And I could certainly see kvass catching on too with the areas in L.A., the Silver Lake and the Echo Park. Yeah, um, true, very much. I mean, it's... Uh... While there has certainly been trends uh, towards worse and worse stuff, um, and you know, all you need to do to kind of get sick to your stomach of what's out there is watch uh, half an hour of uh, kids commercials, uh, you know, for uh, on the cartoon uh, networks. At the same time, there is this huge backlash of people actually making the opposite decision, and that is very heartening to me. Uh, you know, whether or not it's a hipster thing or whatnot. These things have to catch on, and people start to understand that there's a different way out there. And people are understanding it more and more and more and more. Uh, and it, it it makes me happy. Me too. It, it makes me happy that I think we are seeing a transition now to real food. I mean, uh, you know, like we said at the beginning, there's certainly a lot of different attempts at what is the healthy diet. But I think that an advantage that these fermented probiotic drinks have is they do appeal to a lot of the different food communities and different approaches on dieting, whether it's the low fat or the low carb. I mean, these drinks like kombucha and kvass and, well, water kefir, because if you're not doing dairy, you can't do the uh, the milk kefir. But in general, I see kind of a, a crossover into different nutrition communities with these ferments? Um, well, you know, one of the things, you know, whether you're vegan, vegetarian, glucose intolerant, uh, lactose intolerant, or not glucose, gluten intolerant, whether you're any of these things, the nice thing, the thing about vegetable ferments is that unless you happen to be allergic to cabbage or beets, you know, you can have any, anybody can have them. And so uh, it's not exclusive to any one group or any one way of thinking or anything like that. You know, I, I come from a West Nate Price background. That's that's where I came from. But at the end of the day, I make these products for everybody. I don't care what your uh, 
background is from a, a food standpoint, whether you happen to be staunchly vegan or totally paleo or uh, whether you're just like, I need this. I, someone told me that Kavas is going to help me out and otherwise I'd be eating Snickers for dinner. I don't really care. If you're looking for something healthy, looking for something that's going to help you out, that's what we're there for. We're there to get these products into the uh, American uh, uh, digestive system. You know, that's that's what we're looking for. So I, I while I come from a certain way, there's not a um, – that – uh, idea does not pass through my products. The idea of this is for everybody and it's going to make everybody healthy, that's what I want to get across. Mm-hmm. So basically you just you see it as something that's healthy for everyone. And you are explaining earlier about how you come from a scientific background. So maybe you can t- explain to us a little bit specifically the science of how this is good for our system. Well, sure. You know, it, it comes from a couple different ways. The one that's the most popular and the best known is probiotics. They, you know, a lot of listeners probably know this, but uh, just in case, probiotics are the bacteria that your digestive system needs to work properly. Um, in our kvass, it's lactobacilli. Kombucha has some different ones, um, and there are different ones out there, and some of them are just soil-borne organisms that happen to be uh, on uh, the vegetables and stuff that uh, you eat. These populate your gut. They help you... Uh, digest many uh, vitamins, they help digest um, many uh, proteins that are in your uh, body, they t- they help uh, teach your di- your immune system what is good, what is bad, a good digestive system should hold back, if not eliminate most food allergies. Uh, there are so many things that are based on gut health and that probiotics are the basis of gut health. And they found out that the there's like something like 10 times as many bacteria in your digestive system as there are cells in your body. So this is not like some little thing of, you know, uh, I, I can't poop right. You know, this is, this is some serious stuff. This is the basis of your health. And so our kvass, uh, I suppose to some point kombucha. I don't know much about the science of kombucha, but I, I'll throw that in there. But certainly a raw sauerkraut, a raw kimchi, uh, carrot, you know, raw carrot ginger. I mean, all these things, plus your raw kefirs and, and things like that, these are all meant to help your digestive system achieve a level of health that is natural for human beings. And once you achieve that, then so many other things, as far as your health are concerned, will take care of themselves. That it's that science behind it. And then what I just described is in all kinds of literature. It wasn't maybe 10, 15 years ago. The amount of knowledge of probiotics has so exploded in the past 10, 15 years. It's not funny. And the amount of products that are out there that are probiotic have, I mean unbelievably exploded in the past 10, 15 years. 15 years ago, there's almost no probiotics out there. Now, um, probiotics are in regular supermarkets. It's, you know, maybe not our products, but there are things that are to that direction, and mainstream America is starting to understand this more and more and more, and that can only be good for us. Oh, absolutely, because just a couple months ago, we were at the 
Natural Products Expo in Anaheim, and you saw there that they had certainly a lot of new probiotic companies that were coming out in the market, as well as you know there are some there that have been around for a while. So we're certainly seeing that as a trend that's growing, and I mean, shouldn't even call it a trend because it's a trend makes it sound like it's just something temporary. I mean, it's going to be a regular part of uh, the American diet, and I mean, not just in the natural foods, but like you said, you're seeing it in regular supermarkets too. Right, right. Now, the one thing that I will say that I that separates us as well as a uh, properly made raw sauerkraut or kimchi or something, um, and also uh, a traditionally made uh, kombucha, is that these are raw, authentic, real foods and beverages. There is, you're getting everything. You're getting all the nutrients, all the all the bacteria, you're getting a whole food, a healing food um, along with this. One of the problems that, you know, our, the American culture loves numbers, loves quicksers, loves um, basically artificial uh, uh, architecture that doesn't necessarily exist in nature. So, Many of these probiotic products that exist on the marketplace today are either pills or they're uh, products that, you know, dried products that have probiotics and then pro- things that would never be probiotic naturally, you know, whether it's cereals or whatever. I mean, the, I, I've got to laugh at some of the stuff that I've seen. It's just not natural. Now, it's great that they're probiotic, and it's great that, you know, maybe that they're helping out with the uh, gut health of America. But it's my feeling at the end of the day that the best thing that you can do is to, on a daily basis, have products like Arcavas, like raw sauerkraut, have, you know, uh, raw kimchi, um, and, and like you said, throw kombucha, a good traditional kombucha in there uh, as well. Because you're getting everything. You know, we one of the things that uh, does drive me crazy, I get a lot of people asking me, well, how many billions of culture are in there? And the answer is I have no idea. I don't know how old what you're drinking is. I don't know what has happened to it. Every batch is different. We make our own culture totally wild, so I don't necessarily know exactly what strain of lactobacilli is in there. That's because we make an authentic, traditional product. And any uh, traditional sauerkraut will tell you the same thing. Kimchi will tell you the same thing. And kombucha will tell you the same thing. That you don't know. But, and, but they're healthier than just going and taking a pill. And that's, that's why it drives me a little crazy of America's love of numbers. Sometimes, you know, it's not the right way to look at it. I, I look at things in a much more holistic sense that's, well, what our products are along as well, you know, and, and companies that make sauerkraut, kimchi, or the traditional kombucha companies all do the same thing. Absolutely. Certainly the lab-produced probiotics, they're not the same thing, and the best source of probiotics are the ones that come from wild-fermented foods, wild-fermented veggies and other products. We'll talk more about the advantages of zuke kvass and other fermented foods, but first, a word from our sponsors. To Your Health Sprouted Flour Company offers organic sprouted grains and flours for all your baking needs. We have more than 34 sprouted products, 
hundreds of recipes, and are always available to answer your flour and baking questions. Whether you're making sourdough breads, French baguettes, birthday cakes, granola, or pancakes, let us be your sprouted grain and flour source. Certified organic and kosher, featuring 20 gluten-free sprouted products. Visit our website at organicsproutedflour.net or call toll-free 877-401-6837. What is a healthy diet? Conflicting information is thrown at us daily. Help chart your course to wellness with a steady guide, the Weston A. Price Foundation. Our nutrition and health information is helping many families recover from degenerative disease and nutrient deficiencies. Join for only $40 a year and receive our quarterly journal. Visit our website, westonaprice.org, for more details. Olea States Olive Oil has been produced by the Cronus family on a small estate in Sparta, Greece since 1856. The olives are all certified organic and hand-picked. The oil is cold-pressed within 30 minutes and is extra virgin with an acidity of 0.24. I use Alea for all my olive oil needs, cooking, baking, salad dressing, hummus, and much more. Alea is distributed in the U.S. by Carl Berger. All products can be ordered on the website oleastates.com or by contacting Carl by email k-a-r-l at oleastates.com. And we're back. I'm talking to Scott Griesbeck of Zuke Live Foods. We've been talking about the advantage of kvass and how it works as a great probiotic. And Scott was explaining a little bit about the difference between the type of probiotic in his live fermented food and the probiotics that are produced in labs. Now, Scott, do you think that having some of the lab probiotics are better than having no probiotics at all? More than likely, yes. I would I would have to agree with uh, that sentiment. Um, there's a probiotic juice company that's out there that is basically a you know it's sugary fruit juice with that but they put in a probiotic into it. If one were to say, well, what would you uh, say to drink that sugary fruit juice with probiotics or a sugary fruit juice without probiotics? I would certainly say, well, the one with probiotics. Um, if that's your if it's you know comes down to that, yes, absolutely. But I do think that um, you know you you want to as quickly as you can get yourself away from uh, these uh, <laughs> scientific uh, products. Uh, I, I don't science is great in many things. Um, I just think in food that it's missed the ball just a little bit. I agree. I mean. Certainly, as we're seeing a lot of these new products like kombucha and all these wild ferments, we are also seeing a lot more lab-produced probiotics supplements on the market. And like I said before, they're not the same thing. I mean, the highest quality probiotics are the ones that come from real foods that are fermented. But um, I do think that there are some advantages. I know some people need to take both the probiotic foods and the supplements. Of course, I would say your long-term goal should be getting off any of these types of supplements and being able to get all the probiotics you need just from the natural foods. Yeah, and I think that's a pretty easy thing to do, to be honest with you. I mean, starting out well now, you know, if you're starting from a bad gut health position, which a lot of people are, um, starting out with a small amount of fermented foods every day, 
is really what you want to do. And you're, you know, you're not going to necessarily all of a sudden, you know, start drinking two ounces of uh, Kvass on a daily basis and in three days be in, like, perfect, glowing health, and that's it. You know, I mean, depending on where you're starting from and how long you've uh, had problems for, these are transformational things that take some time um, and need to, be lo- need to be looked at as such. This is a holistic way of dealing with problems that have occurred over a long period of time. They may take a year, two years to truly uh, reverse themselves. But by adding products like this uh, into your daily diet and at the same time taking a lot of stuff actually into the bad position in the first place, that, you know, you should be able to reverse a lot of problems that uh, were out there. But I do think, you know, know, the point of subtracting as well as adding is very important, too. If you're going to eat, uh, you know, nothing but uh, burgers and fries and chips and think that you're going to become healthy by drinking a little bit of uh, kvass and eating occasional sauerkraut, I don't think that's necessarily going to work out well for you at the end of the day. You know, these things that we talk about are, you know, I I hate to use the uh, standard American diet term of, you know, you know, with a healthy, you know, alongside a healthy diet, but they're right. You know, I mean, my, our idea of a healthy diet may be different than theirs, but it's true. These things are great, but you need to look at many other uh, aspects of your diet as well and see what is working and what is not working. And certainly every type of ferment it has a little different process as far as how it ferments in the culture. So what's the specific process for how B-Kavas works as far as how it's fermented? Uh, beet is, beet's a tough ferment. Um, you've got to be I, – I would say, you know, if you are a budding fermenter, uh, get real good at doing sauerkraut and perhaps some other ferments before you try B-Kavas. Uh, beets don't always work. Uh, beets are very finicky as far as how they turn out. Uh, the source of your beets is uh, going to be very important. Don't ever make beet kvass without organic beets because you're going to get just like nasty beet dishwater. There, the you've got to have really good, healthy beets, and we know where to source our beets. Uh, we're very, very strict about where we source our beets because the uh, quality of our products can go up and down real easily. Um, but uh, beets are beets are fine. You know, I mean, sauerkraut is such an easy ferment. I mean, virtually anybody can ferment sauerkraut. Uh, it it starts itself. That's one of the nice things about uh, cabbage is that it comes with its own source of lactobacilli. Other vegetables, not so much. And that's when you've got to start to really understand how to do how to ferment things and, you know, start, sort of become a fermentation chef to when as you get into these other uh, products. The first time you make a fermented salsa, it may not come out right. You know, you've got to understand kind of how fermentation works. Read the books, read nursing traditions, read wild fermentation. Um, experiment, accept failure as a uh, possibility of what you're going to do and be okay with it. You know, I mean... Uh, one of the nice things about fermentation is if you mess up, you'll know it. You know, you're not. It's not going to be like, hmm, I don't. This is good or not. If it stinks like garbage and it's 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 really disgusting, then throw it away. It's pretty easy. You know, you're either going to get fermentation or you're going to get rotting. So, and you can, your nose and your uh, uh, 
taste buds can easily tell the difference between the two. That's one of the nice things about uh, about fermentation. And that's why mankind's used it for thousands and thousands of years because they knew when it worked, they knew when it didn't, and people don't get poisoned on it. I was going to say uh, Sandor Katz, A Wild Fermentation, and he also has the book The Art of Fermentation. That's another great book to read in addition to Nourishing Dishes. I know another important thing to do with, as far as fermentation is make sure that you use the airtight um, containers to make sure that no air gets out of them. Here's here's where you want Okay, it, it, It's not necessarily important to use airtight containers. Uh, Ankind has not traditionally used airtight containers. Um, the putting things in a liquid solution, making sure that liquid is as high as it can go, very important because that anything below the level of the water is airtight. Um, anything above the water, however, is going to get moldy. And that's where uh, the problem comes in, is that if you're making, you know, if you're making sauerkraut in like the traditional method where you've got it in a crock and on top you've got a plate with a stone on top weighing down, uh, you know, very, very traditional method, you're going to get mold. It's going to happen. The leaves on top are going to get moldy. It's not the end of the world. You scoop it off and you throw it out. The problem is in our society, we look at that and we're like, oh, my God, the, it, the whole thing went bad and I have to throw it all out. Using some sort of an airtight, and I, I use uh, mason jars when I when I make my own ferments. Um, having that, you know, we have airlocks on our products uh, that we make uh, uh, here at ZK. Uh, it, it just it basically eliminates the mold, so then you don't have that problem. But there's not, it's it's not as though it is necessary. And it's not as though it's historical. Like I said, you know, I mean. Generally speaking, I'm sure that most ferments that have ever been made by mankind previous to the past hundred years have had a lot of mold in them. People just throw it away. Another thing that I heard was you have to make sure to get the right amount of salt, that there can be problems if you have too much or too little salt. Is that something that you've experienced? Well, we add a lot of culture into our ferments uh, so that we can add less salt. Ah. Uh, we definitely, we definitely, there, there, I don't know exactly what the note is or supposed to be for us. It was a lot of uh, trial and error before we got to do something that worked every time and tasted great. The But I would say overall, some of the recipes in there, some tradition use too much salt. Um, but if you're going to scale back that salt tremendously, then you're going to have to jack up the culture because the reason that the salt's in there is to hold down other bacteria um, from populating, whereas lactobacilli like some salt. If you put too much salt in, then you're just going to get a brine and you're going to kill everything. You're not going to get the fermentation that you want. Um, I don't think that that's necessarily a problem if you follow the recipes and nourishing traditions, but you will get something that's quite salty. You might like that, you might not, but I would say that if you increase the amount of uh, uh, culture that you use quite a bit, then you can start shutting down your salt. And so your cultures are these ones that have basically been used like over and over with the products and they keep producing new cultures? No, no, not really. We, we make fresh cultures on a very regular basis. Oh, okay. It makes for a better product. It does. And you were talking a little earlier about how you have to have 
organic beets to make good beet kvass. And that's something that Zuke does with the beets, and I would say with pretty much all of the ingredients, is they're all, all very well sourced. How do you go about sourcing these so they're from the best producers and the best farms out there? Well, it's a lot of it's trial and error to see who uh, uh, has the best stuff. Um, we do try our best during season to buy stuff uh, close to us in Lancaster County, um, though it's not always possible. Um, but yeah, that that is a that is uh, pretty important to us. Uh, we we work with a couple great companies that uh, give us great organic products on a uh, weekly basis. Uh, you know, from that's from our standpoint. From your listener standpoint, it's mostly working with your uh, co-ops, with Whole Foods, with whatever you can source your organic vegetable terms, or your your farms at uh, the, uh, the farmers markets or CSAs. Um, that's that's you know that's really uh, what you need to do. I, I you know focusing on organic. I wouldn't worry so much about uh, you know one farm versus another at, at the point that you're at. Just get yourself good organic cabbage. Get yourself good organic beets. Get yourself good organic carrots. You know, the ones that you can find in a store uh, should be fine. If they're not, if they're not made organically, uh, according to all the laws that are out there, then they're lying to you, but there's not much we can do about that. If if the whole thing's a lie, then, you know, the whole system is a shame. I can't tell you. I don't think that it is. And we operate on the fact that what these people tell us is the truth. And uh, so, uh, to us, a farm that go, that's organic is good enough uh, for us. In addition to sourcing your things from small family farms, another thing that amazed me was how you moved to a place where you were able to get uh, fluorine-free water. Is this a problem with other drinks? They still have some fluorine in their products? Well, you know, I, I can't speak for anyone else. Um, I would think that if you're... Water source comes from from a municipal source, and that you do not, and that that municipal source has fluoride in it, and that you don't clean the fluoride out, then your product will have fluoride in it. Now, I haven't the slightest idea what products are out there that would have fluoride in them. None. I mean, there's no labeling for it, and uh, you know, I, I, I have no idea where so many things are made and what their water source is and everything. All I know is for us, if, uh, you know, to make our products properly, we either needed to have a lot of water cleaning or that we needed a good source of well water. Uh, well water was a lot cheaper and to me a lot more natural and real. Um, and so we located out in uh, rural Berks County, Pennsylvania, where we had a great well water source. And so that's why there's no fluoride that there's no chlorine because it doesn't exist in our water. You know, we, we don't have a municipal water source. So anyone who does what we do, just having well water is totally cool. But if you do get it from a municipal source, hope, you know, hopefully you're cleaning it and getting the chlorine and fluoride out. If you're not, then that is going to be in there. Right. And I mean, I can't speak for some of these big ag companies, but I would imagine that most of the companies in our community, they at least do a process of, filtering the water before they give it to their products. So certainly, I'm not trying to say only by Zuke because they're known to have fluoride-free water. I mean, I think most of those have filtered water, but I would agree with you that, I mean, filter is certainly great, the process of water filtration, but 
I mean, the best thing out there is if you can get it just from water that is completely fluoride and chlorine free. That's even better than doing the filtering process. Yeah, I mean, that was our thought. You know, we just bypassed it all together by getting water that never had it. So, um, though, like I said, I I don't want to cast aspersions on anyone else's product whatsoever no. as far as chlorine is concerned. Because I, 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 don't, I don't know even the smallest amount of where people uh, source their stuff from. Right, I don't either. Uh, so, and, and you know, depending on if you're making if you're making ferment up with chlorinated water, you're you're not doing it right. That's that's basic. You know, whatever whenever you're making something fermented, you gotta take it to chlorine out. You have to because chlorine is there to kill bacteria. You know, I mean, it's it's not not so much a, a health and safety thing. It's just a it's not going to work. And I know this from experience. I have tried to ferment stuff with city water before, and it either doesn't take off well, makes an off product, or just kills it altogether. So that is a very, very important thing. But if you're not doing a fermented product, then you may not even be worried about that. And, and honestly, there's, you know, the, for those of us who are worried about chlorine and fluoride, we're still in the minority. I mean, there's a lot of companies out there that are probably using chlorinated and fluoridated water that are just fine with it. Oh, and it wouldn't agree with uh, either of us. Oh yeah, some people don't understand this. They think the idea filter water, but what's the fluoride? You need that for good teeth. Right, and you know we so that's why we make it because we don't believe that. But you know other companies are not going to agree with us, and you know it, that's fine. But um, so you know, that, that's basically where we stand on it. Right. When you tried making it without uh, filtered water, was that an experiment that you're trying to do to see how it would come out? Uh. No, no, I just I just done it a couple of times where I've been in places where I had to oh, okay. and that was the only thing I had. Yeah, I mean not not for the company. Not the company. Oh, all right. Yeah, well I, well, I didn't think it was anything you sold. I just didn't know if you like tried that in your spare time, but that was just you were unable to access it. And another thing I would add, I mean I think most listeners to this show, they probably filter their water because the other thing is if you're following any of these recipes from something like say nourishing traditions or you're doing uh Hannah Crumb's uh, kombucha starter kit. I mean, it says in the recipe, filtered water. So if you're not doing filtered water, then you're not reading things very carefully. That, yeah, yeah. I, I would say that's pretty important to uh, to to have in there. Uh, that's that's kind of the starting block of all of it. That is. So another thing that you have in your process is you do use a little stevia, and you explain on your website that this is different than other stevias in other products. How specifically is this different? Well, um, the, uh, you know, I, I don't know uh, positives or negatives about processed stevia. I mean, I'm not, I'm not an expert in it. I don't know exactly what they do to turn stevia all white and everything like that, but I do know this. We don't put any other processed uh, ingredients in our products, so uh, I wouldn't make our stevia. I wouldn't have our stevia source be anything other than be as pure as the vegetables that are uh, the vast, vast, vast majority of our uh, ingredients. So uh, we source stevia. It's just a. It is simply just a uh, an herb. Um, we do put it in there to make the products a little bit sweeter uh, because there are a lot of people who don't like the uh, extreme tartness of uh, just a regular uh, fermented product. There's, we have gotten yelled at 
uh, by many people for doing for having done this. But at the end of the day, we are trying to get this to as many people as possible, and we want the products to be as acceptable to as many people as they can, and people just like them better with a little bit of uh, additional sweetness. I would hardly call them sweet, um, you know, compared to other drinks that are out there. I don't think they're even close to sweet, but um, it's, it was of utmost importance that whatever we did to make to give them a hint of sweetness and to cut the tartness had to be every drop as pure as everything else that went in. And so that's why we would not use the processed stevia because I couldn't say that. You know, I mean, I don't know what they did. I, I, again, I, I, the stevia, I have to assume that it goes through some uh, chemical transformation to turn something that's green into something white. I mean, that's just common sense. And if I'm making a, a product that's as pure as kvass, well, I don't want anything that is gone through a process like that. That's just my thinking. I, I have no scientific basis to it. I don't know if there's health benefits or detriments to using uh, a white processed stevia, but I didn't really feel like finding out, to be honest with you. It, it was never, ever an option. Right, and I think if anyone is wondering about the stevia and other products, I think that's just something you have to find out for yourself, and that's something in general you should do when looking at any new food that you're buying is do the research to find out exactly what comes in it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you should do that with, yeah, everything that you do. I mean, it's um, more, you know, more people reading labels and asking, why is this in here, uh, the better. You know, and I, you know, and I do understand that, you know, people will read ours and say, well, why is this stevia in there? That's why it's in there. Um, but I, but like I said, I want to make sure that it was every drop as pure and good as everything else that we do. Same with our salt. You know, um, once people find out why you need salt for fermentation, that's when they understand why there's a little bit of salt in our products. Because, you know, salt's not usually in beverages uh, much at all. But um, we do use Celtic brand sea salt. And as it's, again, extremely important to me. There are other salts that I would use, but we we just use uh, Celtic brand sea salt. Um, I believe in it. I think it's a great, great, great product. But again, I want my salt to be every drop as pure and healthy as everything else we use. I agree with the choice of Celtic salt. I think that is the best type of salt, um, except for the other one is there's like a um, salt made by a company, Sea Agri, which is similar to Celtic salt. Um, but Celtic salt is the best because it actually comes from water. So it is actually sea salt. The pink Himalayan salt, although certainly a major step up from your iodized white salt. Um, Himalayan salt is actually an earth salt and not a sea salt. So as far as salts that are readily available, Celtic salt is probably the best one you can go with. Yeah, we we, we think so, and that's why we use it. But like I said, uh, you know, if all of a sudden we had to switch to Himalayan salt, I wouldn't be... Uh, I wouldn't feel that I would be doing any disservice to saying. Oh, no. It's equally good. I just, I had to make it, you know, I made a decision. I I also made a decision based on what you used at home. Um, You know, so that's why we put it in there. Um, You know, one thing that we always have done with our products is they've got to pass the test. Would I bring this home and give it to my wife and kids without any reservations whatsoever? And everything that comes out of Zuke has to absolutely answer that uh, question, yes. And so that's another reason why every one of these ingredients has to pass that test. Is this as pure as it can be? Is as healthy as it can be? Because I give this to my kids. 
And so if it doesn't pass my own personal test, then it just doesn't become a zookeeper on it. Right. So certainly we've let the listeners know a lot about the advantages of Zooka and the different types of products you offer. And is this something that's pretty much available like in stores nationwide? Um, here, yeah, uh, more or less. I mean, we're in a lot. Of, we're in maybe about uh, a third to a half the foods in the nation. We're in a lot of natural food stores and markets all over the place. Um, we're in Wegmans. We're in Earth Fair uh, in the South. Um, so there's a lot of places you can get it, but there's also a lot of people who can't get it. If you can't find Zuke in a natural food store or in a Whole Foods or in a Wegmans, um, you can get it at wildmountainpaleo.com. You bring back a lot of memories when you say Wegmans because I went to college in upstate New York and that was where I shopped all the time. So I get a little nostalgic when I hear that. Wegmans is great. They are. It's an amazing store. And so we're going to have to go to our desserts in a second. But before we go, let the listeners know where they can find the website for Zuke. Yes. Uh, it's it's pretty easy. It's zoo.com. That's Z as in zebra, U-K-A-Y.com. And uh, find us on Facebook um, under Zuke Live Foods. Uh, we would love to have you on there. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of great information that we post uh, every day. And uh, we also do a lot of giveaways and such like that that you can uh, become part of. Sounds good. So lots of stuff to look forward to. Again, that site is zuke.com. That's Z-U-K-A-Y.com. Scott, thank you so much for coming on the program. And now for the desserts, how to live appropriately in the upcoming week. Tomorrow at 10 a.m. at the Zane Gray Estate in Altadena, the Institute of Domestic Technology is offering a class on bacon making. This class will be led by Rashida Purifoy, chef and owner of the Los Angeles small batch baking company, Cast Iron Gourmet. Rashida will teach all stages from curing the pork belly to building your own smoker, and finally, a bacon testing. For more information, check out the website, instituteofdomestictechnology.com. Next, on Tuesday, the Pasadena chapter of the Weston A. Price Foundation will have its monthly potluck. The event starts at 7 p.m. at the Nature Friends Clubhouse in Sierra Madre. This month will be a screening of Graham Merriweather's masterpiece documentary, American Meat. To find out more, visit the webpage westonapricepasadena.blogspot.com. And finally, this Wednesday at 7 p.m., Urban Homestead in Pasadena kicks off its supper and song farm and dinner series with a four-course homegrown dinner. Space is limited, so to purchase your tickets, go to the website urbanhomestead.org. That's all for this week on The Appropriate Omnivore. My guest next week is Weston A. Price. West L.A. Chapter Leader, Victoria Block. To find out more information about my guest and upcoming events this week, visit my webpage at appropriateomnivore.com. Thank you. Thank you.